You know, people think that the death and resurrection of Jesus was the finish line for him. Most people think that that was his end goal, that was his end game, was to get to the death and resurrection. I've heard it said that Jesus was born to die. And the truth of the matter, though, is that the resurrection was only the beginning of what Jesus is doing. I want you to get that on your outline today, right on the front, in the top part of your outline. The resurrection was only the beginning of what Jesus is doing. Come on, say it with me. The resurrection was only the beginning of what Jesus is doing. That's why we started talking about this uh, last week as we stepped into the first chapter of the book of Acts. The book of Acts was written around 62 AD by Luke. Luke writes in Acts 1 that in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions. Luke tells us that in his first book, he wrote about what Jesus began. Say that word with me, began. But now in his second book, what's interesting is Luke is telling us about what Jesus continues to do. So basically, the book of Acts is the sequel to the gospel of Luke. And that's the way I want us to see this. They they go hand in hand. Where the gospel of Luke ends, the book of Acts picks up and begins. Now, if you don't know, the gospels of Jesus, the first four books of the New Testament, we know them by the names of the people writing them, um, but they were the accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. And what's interesting is that Matthew and John were two of the original disciples. So they were ones that followed Jesus for a long period of time. You could call them apostles. They were literally that. But Mark was not. Mark was probably, uh, scholars believe, a teenage follower that came to know Jesus. He grew up following Jesus. And he actually wrote his gospel, John Mark wrote his gospel um, for Peter. And so it was kind of like Peter was giving him the information and Mark was writing it. But who was Luke? This is an interesting guy. Luke is a, is a writer, a real interesting writer, I think, because he didn't know Jesus personally. Most scholars believe that Luke became a follower after the death and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, most scholars believe that Luke became a follower through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And then what's really interesting is Luke was trained as a doctor, a physician, and then his experience and training and all that, but he left that profession and traveled with Paul as a missionary all over the Mediterranean, so all over the known world at that time. And what Luke did as a part of this process of him not only following Jesus and not only becoming a missionary, um, but he decided to make it a point that he was going to document through the testimony of, of eyewitnesses and followers, as many as possible, he wanted to document everything about Jesus. And so in his opening comments in the Gospel of Luke, take a look at what the writer Luke says. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I decided to write an accurate account for you, Theophilus, so you can be certain 
of the truth. Now, no one really knows the identity of Theophilus, to be honest. Most scholars, they have ideas, but there is no certainty to it. But it's obvious that Luke had the intention to provide him with a deeper, more detailed understanding of Jesus by writing not only the Gospel of Luke, but also the book of Acts. He wanted Theophilus to know more of the details. And and it's assumed Uh, Scholars believe that Luke knew that this would not just be a a letter written to Theophilus, these two books would not just be letters written to Theophilus, but that they would be shared with other followers and other believers of Jesus, including, guess what, us today. And so we should be very thankful that he wrote these books based on accurate descriptions of places and people and leaders and events and governments and all of these things Scholars today, including archaeologists, view Luke, this writer, as a valid historian. They take his writings in the book, uh, the, the, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts as valid history writing. In his Gospel, Luke includes a detailed report of Jesus' birth. If you've ever you know, heard any message or ever read about the Christmas story of Jesus' birth, you probably landed somewhere in the book of Luke because there's a lot of details about the angels and everything that took place in the book of Luke. But also, Luke wrote a lot about Jesus' life and ministry. He includes details about healings and miracles and places that no other gospel writer included because he was very detail-oriented. And then the most detailed account of the death and resurrection of Jesus is found in the book of Luke. And in chapter 24, Luke tells us that the women, the women that were following Jesus, went to the tomb. They found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of Jesus. So this is after the crucifixion. Jesus is buried. His body is put in a tomb. The women come to actually anoint him um, to bring um, oils and um, just all kinds of different elements to help his body in this process to really smell better. I'll be honest with you. That's about all it, it really does. There was no embalming in that time, and so... They were just doing this out of honor and respect to Jesus. And they came and they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So what did they do? Run away. No, they didn't run away. Look what it says. They went in. But they didn't find the body of Jesus. As they stood there, puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. Now we believe these to be angels. And these angels told them that Jesus isn't here. That Jesus has risen back to life. And so in verse 9, we pick up that the women rush back from the temple to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. And so Luke tells us then, in Luke 24, in the same chapter, Luke tells us that on the same day, two of Jesus' followers were leaving Jerusalem. And to be honest, they were leaving because the guy that they had followed, Jesus, had been crucified and had been buried And they felt like their hope, like we talked about last week, their hope had been shattered. And so they were leaving Jerusalem, headed home. And Jesus appears to them on the road as they're walking and as they're talking. And after they recognize Jesus, after they realize who this is, they hurry back to Jerusalem. And we pick up the story in verse 32. There, they found the 11 disciples and others who had gathered with them, probably the same people that were hearing from um, these women that the tomb was empty. 
And it says the two told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking on the road and how they had recognized him. And just as they were telling about it, guess what? Jesus himself was suddenly there, standing there among them. He appeared right there in the midst of the group. And after doing some things to convince them that he was alive and not a ghost, look what Jesus says. You are witnesses of all these things. Stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they returned to Jerusalem, don't miss that, to Jerusalem filled with great joy. Now what's interesting is when you go from the Gospel of Luke into the book of Acts, all of a sudden a little bit more detail is given. Luke gives us a little bit more to fill in the gaps of the story. Take a look at Acts 1 verse 3. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, so, so I want you to understand that the, the Gospel of Luke overlaps the book of Acts by about 40 days. So, so Luke now in Acts is talking about these, this 40-day period when Jesus had already resurrected, had come back to life, had already appeared to them. Remember, we just read it. He had already done all that, but he hadn't left yet. He was still here on earth for 40 days. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, 40 days is a period of uh, immense um, meaning throughout. It's very symbolic throughout. There's a lot of 40-day periods in the Bible, and this was one of them. He was doing this specifically for a purpose. Look what it says. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, Jesus appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways, what? That he was actually alive. Now, why is that so important? Well, we're going to see in the weeks to come, it's so important for them to understand, clearly understand as eyewitnesses to what was taking place, that Jesus was actually alive. Physically, he had come back to life. He died physically, he was buried physically, and he came back to life physically. It's so important for us to see this here and to know that they believed he was alive. You know why? Because that's what we base our faith on as followers of Jesus, that he did what he said he would do. I mean, come on. If anybody can predict their death and then come back to life after it happens, like they said they would, I don't know about you, but I'm listening to that person. And that's what was taking place here. This is actually taking place right here in this 40-day period. Look what it says, once when Jesus was eating with them, which we talked about last week, Jesus was always eating. Luke always highlights the fact that Jesus was eating with them, right? Once when Jesus was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is just like what he shared in Luke 24. It's just a duplicate. He's telling him, stay, stay in Jerusalem, wait, wait for what God's going to do because you're going to experience the Holy Spirit in a way you've never experienced it before. The Spirit of God is going to move in your life. And as we're going to discover in Acts 2, 
Jesus had them wait until a very specific day. Jesus had them stay in the city and wait for the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 starts out that way with verse 1. It talks about the day of Pentecost. If you don't know what that is, the day of Pentecost um, was a symbolic festival for the Jewish people that celebrated when God gave the Ten Commandments through Moses, gave the Ten Commandments, and, and it was 50 days after they had left Egypt, 50 days after the Exodus. So we're at 40 days right? During the 40-day period, Jesus was on earth, right? And now he's saying, but wait until day 50. And he's telling them for a reason, because he wants them to catch that God, God is using this particular time frame. Jesus is pointing to a gathering of his followers that's going to carry out God's purpose in the world. It is, get this, a beginning. That's what he's doing again. Just like he did for the nation of Israel, he's now doing it for the followers of Jesus. Don't miss that. I also believe that they weren't just waiting. I mean, how many of you like to wait? I don't. I don't like to wait for anything, right? I, most of us don't. We live in an instant world. So we are just kind of pre-programmed to not want to wait. But these people were not just waiting. They, they were waiting for something to happen. I mean, Jesus told them, anticipate this, expect this, this is going to happen in your life. You know why he was telling them that? Because Jesus was doing something. Now, they didn't realize what he was doing. They could not even see it. It was way bigger than their mind could conceive at that moment. But Jesus was doing something. And see, I think he's doing something in our lives. This, this is honestly, this is why I stepped into this series, because I want us to realize that Jesus is he's doing something in our lives, and we need to be aware of this. He's doing something in our church, and we need to be aware of this. So then we come to verse 6. I'm so glad that Luke included verse 6. You know why? Because it gives this human element. I, I love it. I mean, you got, you got to believe that the Bible is, is true and accurate. I, for me, this is one of the reasons why. Because the Bible includes these views of humanity, of imperfect humans, so many times. If I was trying to write a book that I just wanted to sell you on something, I would not include verses like this. You understand me? I mean, I, this is not good marketing, right? I mean, take a look at what they say. It, it shows how human, they, it shows how easily it is to get sidetracked. Look what they say. Jesus is saying, stay in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's coming just as God promised and all of this. And then they ask this question when the apostles were with Jesus. Notice they were with him. I don't know about you, but I would have so many other questions to ask other than this if I was with Jesus. But when they were with him, they kept asking this question. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? I mean, it wasn't a question of, what do you have for us, God? What's your plan, God? Jesus, what are you going to do? What's the Holy Spirit going to do in our lives? Where are you taking us? No, it was, have you come to restore our nation? You know what that is? It's a political question. They get off on Democrats and Republicans. Again. Sorry, I'm just venting here. I, I hate it. I hate it. 
It seems like there could be anything going on in our world, good, something just amazingly good, or something terribly wrong. But guess what? Where the media goes is to politics. It's like, come on. Isn't there more to life than politics? I mean, it's a typical Jewish view of the Messiah. They're looking at the Messiah to be a political leader coming to restore their nation. If only we could get a better president. If only we could get a better governor. Sound familiar? God, when are you going to do something in our government? As if government is going to change our lives. See, they were still looking at the natural. And Jesus was saying, supernatural's coming. Hmm. That's why he says what he says. Look what Jesus says. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. He's, basically, he's saying, guys, give it a rest. You've been asking and asking and asking this of me. Just give it a rest. Okay? It, you don't need to know. It's not going to change your life, but I'll tell you what is going to change your life. Notice that he uses the conjunction, but... I always talk about the big butts in the Bible. Here's one of them right here. But you, forget the politics, forget all this stuff about the Messiah, but you, not him, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He's saying, don't think your world, man, this is not even in my notes. This is good. Don't think your world is going to change just because the Messiah is coming. No, Jesus is saying you can be a part of changing your world because the Holy Spirit is going to empower you. It's a good time to say amen right there. That's a really good statement. Not even on your notes. It's free. Giving it to you free right here, okay? It, in both Luke 24 and Acts 1, Jesus is talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I need some power in my life right now. Because I'm going through and I'm facing situations and circumstances that are overwhelming me. How about you? Holy Spirit power is necessary in my life right now, and I think it's necessary in your life. I want you to get this down. Holy Spirit power is given because Jesus wants me involved in what he's doing. Holy Spirit power is given because Jesus wants you involved in what he's doing. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit isn't just to make us feel more spiritual. I've been in groups and churches where that's kind of, it's like, wow, the Holy Spirit just makes me feel so much better spiritually. That's not why it's given. It's not given so that we would feel superior. You know, there, there are some people that feel like, well, I've got the Holy Spirit in me, but they don't. What's up with that? That's not anything of what Jesus says. That the Holy Spirit isn't given, you know, so that we can have some spiritual high. No. Holy Spirit power is given so that we can be involved in what Jesus is wanting to do in our world. Wanting to do in the world around us. Wanting to do in the lives of people around us. Look what Jesus says. And you will be my witnesses. 
Don't, don't miss this. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is pushing them to carry the message beyond Jerusalem. In fact, we won't, probably won't even go into this, this series, but that's why the Apostle Paul came around, because the Disciples weren't doing a very good job of carrying the message past Jerusalem. And so God just kind of drops in the Apostle Paul and says, if you're not going to do it, then I'm going to get somebody who will. And Paul carried it out, and Luke was a part of that. You know why? You know why Jesus was pushing for them to take the message beyond Jerusalem? You know why Jesus is pushing us here at Pathway Church to take the message of Jesus Christ to those that we work with, those that we love, those that we are friends with, those that are in our family, those that are our neighbors, why, our co-workers. You know why Jesus is pushing? Because the mission of the church is outside its walls. The mission of the church is not in here. The mission of the church is out there. The mission that Jesus is wanting to give you is the people that you work with, you live near, and you know that do not know him. And since the mission of the church is outside its walls, we, we cannot deny that Jesus calls all followers to share his message including me, including you. I mean, think about this. Those, those that received this mandate that day, that group that was gathered together, the 11 um, apostles and, and then the bunch of other people that were there, I mean, come on, let's think about this for a moment. They were not trained professional public speakers. This, this was not their gig. They, this was new to them. They were not religious professionals by any means. They were just ordinary people with fears and hang-ups just like you and me. And it was these ordinary people that Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit empowers you, you will be my witnesses. So if we're following Jesus, all of us are called to share the message. All of us. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, you are called. I am called to share the message of Jesus with those around us, neighbors, family members, coworkers. And all it is, what's an eyewitness do? They just tell what happened and all that Jesus is calling you to do is just to share what he's doing in your life. You don't have to have notes and an outline like I do. You don't have to spend hours prepping for it. Just tell people what he's doing in your life. That's being an eyewitness. I'm convinced. I'm convinced we don't realize just how lost our world really is. I don't think we realize how lost our city is. I don't think we realize how lost our friends are. How many millions of people have no idea 
what Jesus did on the cross for them. How many people have no idea what Easter that we just celebrated a few weeks ago is really all about, that Jesus died on a cross for them. Friends, every person needs to hear the message of Jesus because Jesus can make our lives better and make us better at life. And they need to hear that. Jesus started this this movement with people to share this message. And that's why the power of the Holy Spirit is necessary. Because Jesus wants me involved in what he's doing. He wants you involved in what he's doing. So what happens next? Verse 9. After saying this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven... Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Maybe the same guys that were at the tomb. I don't know. Men of Galilee, they said. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you, but someday he will return in the same way you saw him go. Don't miss this. Jesus ascends into heaven His disciples stand staring into heaven and staring into heaven and staring into heaven, straining to see, is that him? I think that's him. Yeah, he's still there. Oh, oh, he's still there. Look, he's like that cloud. He's he's still there. And all of a sudden, these two guys appear. I wonder how long the disciples would have stood there staring into heaven if these two guys hadn't have showed up. Hmm. See, things weren't going to be the way they were before. Things were changing. There was no going back. They didn't know what would happen. They didn't know when it would come. All they knew is what Jesus said. And in verse 12, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. You know what I see right here? I see a choice is being made. A choice to be involved. Get this down. It's my choice to be involved in what Jesus is doing. It's my choice. It's your choice. We have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. I have to make a choice to be involved in what Jesus is doing. It is not automatic. Many times we will miss it if we're not careful. But we make this choice. I believe, I fully believe, Jesus wants to do something in us and for us, and through us like we have never experienced here at Pathway Church. I'm telling you this, there has been, since December, there has been this churning in my heart and in my spirit of things, new things that he wants to do among us, new things that he wants to do in us and through us. And I think that he's just prepping us right now He's setting us up for what he wants to do. 
Friends, Jesus wants to change us. He wants to empower us. He wants to use us. He wants to empower us and use us in the lives of people around us in ways that we have never experienced. Jesus wants to bring people into this place who need to hear the message of Jesus, people into our lives that need to hear the message of Jesus. Jesus wants to move through us to reach our community right here in Claremont and beyond. He wants to use us and move through us to reach the people that we work with, that we live near, friends and family members. And man, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. And this is something that we, as a church, have neglected. But things are changing. And Jesus is calling. We need to wait expectantly. We we don't know exactly all that God wants to do through us. But something's happening. Next week, we're going to talk about how they chose to be involved. And I hope you don't miss part three because it's really going to be good for us. But today, if you're ready to make a choice, if you're ready to make a choice to be involved and, and you're sitting here thinking, I don't even know what it is going to entail. I don't even know all the details. I don't know what Jesus is going to call me into. I don't know. I don't know. And I don't even know what to tell you what he's going to do. But you're sitting there and you're thinking, because I'm telling you, I'm thinking this. If, if you're ready to say to Jesus, even though I don't know it all, Jesus, I'm in. Change me, empower me, use me. I'm in. If that's you today, I want you to stand with me and say, I'm in. I'm in. Jesus, change me, empower me, use me.